If you have your Bibles, we're going to look in uh, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. We started um, last week with just an overview of uh, Paul's theme in this uh, chapter. We said chapter 1 was God's plan for church leadership. Chapter 2 is God's plan for the church. And we said that um, when we look at uh, Titus chapter 2, that what we see as a whole is that God's plan for the church is sanctification. It's that older men would grow in particular character qualities that would be sanctified character qualities. It's that older women would do the same, that younger women, that um, younger men would be involved in the sanctification process. And all of that is centered around this reality that the grace of God has been revealed to all men, and it teaches us to deny ungodliness. It teaches us to hate sin and love the Lord. And so as we look today and get a little more specific uh, with um, our focus here, we're going to be looking at Titus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 where Paul says in Titus 2 verse 1, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Just a few things, and we mentioned a couple of these last week, but a few things to kind of set this passage up. Paul starts out by saying, Titus, as for you, you preach the things, you speak the things, our, the, the, the King James says that becomes sound doctrine. Really, uh, in our own thinking, it's a little clearer if we say teach those things that are consistent with, that accompany sound doctrine. And so what are the doctrines that support what Paul is going to emphasize here? Now remember, Titus has been sent to Crete, or maybe I should say left in Crete, to put things in order, to build up that which is lacking. First, he's supposed to establish elders in all the churches that are there. Secondly, as it, as it applies to the church, Titus's work begins here, that he starts to encourage men and women to grow in the sanctification process, that they would become what God has called them to be. And that is the outworking of, or that is the things that are consistent with, those are the things that are consistent with sound doctrine. So what doctrine might Paul be thinking about? Well, we don't know for sure, but we can certainly look and see uh, in Scripture, what these principles would be built upon. So I'm not going to turn here, but uh, I will reference a few. Number one, Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verse seventeen says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things are become new. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What does that mean? Well, that means that if the Holy Spirit has come to live in you, if you have become alive to Christ and dead to sin, then you are a new creature. You are a new creation. You have a capacity for things that you did not at one time have. And the life that you live 
from there on out is a life that is marked and characterized very differently than the life that you lived previously when you were dead in sin. Number two, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, where Paul would say that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that you are not your own, but you have been bought with a price? Therefore, glorify Christ in your bodies. Okay. So it's this, again, this is a doctrine, this is a teaching that you are not your own. Not if you've been made alive in Christ. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And so as we start to look at Titus chapter 2, in line with things that would accompany that sound doctrine would be this. The teaching in Titus chapter 2 is not a series of suggestions. Okay? The teaching that's found in Titus chapter 2 is a series of commands, expectations. Paul expects that if the church of God is going to function the way that God intends for it to function, that these are going to be these categories are going to be found. That the older men are going to be seeking to be what we're going to see today. Really, that the younger men are going to be seeking those things as well. That the older women are going to seek a, a, a certain uh, pattern of character. That the younger women are going to seek a certain pattern of character. And what you'll notice about all of this is that, uh, for the most part, what Paul is addressing is not what you do, but what you are. Okay, It's not what you do, it's what you are. And we live in a culture where that can be um, really pushed to the sideline. The, 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 the big question that we're asking from a very young age is, what are you going to be? What are you going to, I'm sorry, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Right? And the question that, that, that Scripture asks of us, and particularly whenever Titus, uh, Paul's writing to Titus about the church is, is, is if, if the men are what they're supposed to be, then they'll do what they're supposed to do. If the women are what they're supposed to be, then they'll do what they're supposed to do. And so it's the inner man that Paul is concerned with when we look in Titus chapter 2. And then this, this relates to men in general. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, is, it's, the, it's the section where it talks about... Um, men who are praying and women who are learning in silence. And the, the whole idea here, I'm not trying to exegete the whole passage, is that God's plan for men in the church is that they would lead. One of the things, men, that you need to have in your mind, whether you're an older man or a younger man, we're not at this point thinking about offices of church leadership. We're just talking about in a spiritual way, God has called you to be leaders of this church so that if something happens and a decision needs to be made, so that as we conduct worship services, so that as you lead your own families, all of that is spilling over into what happens here. And you know, whenever we think about leadership in our country in particular, you know where the big question is? Where in the world are the men? 
When we think about leadership in the church in our country, you know what the big question is? Where in the world are the men? Where are the men that know sound doctrine, have applied themselves to sound doctrine? Where are the men that have been walking with the Lord? Where are the men that can stand up and lead with credibility? Where are the men that know how to love and build up and invest in other people? Where are the men? Now, we shouldn't be discouraged whenever we think about this, and and even when we think about that question, because that's a question that was asked early on in our church's history, long before I ever came here, and and I've heard it um, retold again and again that in those early days, the prayer was, Lord, would you send men that would lead? Would you send godly, spiritual-minded men that would lead? And the Lord has answered that prayer, and I'm thankful for it. But as we've said in many other scenarios, we are one generation away from a body full of men that don't know how to lead and aren't willing to step up to the plate to lead. And so young men, um, it's important as we think about this section that you realize that this is what you are to aspire to be. This is what God expects you to be growing into. And again, we think about these sorts of things and we say, you know, I'm, 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 uh, I'm at a you know, certain stage in my life where uh, I'm busy with other things and this is just not who I am. It's not consistent with my personality and those kinds of things. And we've got to remind ourselves, you are not your own. You are bought with a price and these are not suggestions. As a matter of fact, just in case we get into Titus chapter 2 and we start thinking about these character qualities that the Lord has called us to grow into and we start to think about them as being rigid and legalistic, I would remind you again that all of these are a result of and flow out of the fact that you have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the grace of God that has come into your life and it is by the grace of God that anybody will ever be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in patience. All of that's gracious. Think about the wreckage that you would have if the opposite of all this were what the leadership of the church was made up of. And by that, again, I'm talking about men who are called to lead in your own respective ways. So what is it that God has planned for us, men? Well, we see again in verse 2, the aged men, that the aged men be sober. So who are the aged men? That's the big question that we should think of before we start. Um, It's uh, thought that when Paul was writing this and in the day that he was writing that person that would be in the category of an aged man would be someone that was in his 50s or 60s, may swoop down a little lower into their 40s. Honestly, as we try to think about that, I I think it's a whole lot uh, more helpful to think about your stage in life rather than if you hit a number or not. So the aged men are men who are leading families. They're men who have passed 
over from being what you would call a young man. I think it's also helpful to look and see in verse 6. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. The word sober-minded there is a word that that means to be self-controlled, to be temperate. Well, if you're going to be any of the things that Paul is calling Titus, uh, that Paul is calling older men to be in, in verse two, then temperance, sober-mindedness, is going to have to be there. And so, whenever we think about the older men and who this applies to this morning, then I would say this, men. If you have a family that you're leading, you're an older man, and you should expect to, um, or you should uh, uh, take this as if it's talking to you. As a man who's leading his family, you need to know what it means to be sober and grave and temperate. You need to be growing up into being sound in faith and charity and in patience. Okay, so it's not just reserved for folks that have gray hair. It's not just reserved for for, uh, you at the end of your life. I heard one man say it this way. If you have a mortgage, this is talking to you. Okay? This is you. So what is it? What is it that Paul's calling us to, men? Well, number one, when we look at the text, that the aged men be sober. The word sober there is a word that uh, that is uh, uh, could be uh, thought of as self-control, but it's really soberness in the mind of a, of someone being, or in the sense of someone being sober-minded, someone that has a sober mind. If we were to uh, put it, at least in the way that I think it makes the most sense and that's most helpful for us, is that the older men should be clear. Thinkers, you should be able to think clearly. Okay. What that means is part of what that means is is that older men, you are called to model what a renewed mind looks like. Now, it's not just for modeling. I mean, it's not just so that people can see it, but this is part of what it means. And the younger men need to be able to see this being exhibited in the older. Romans 12.2 gives us this reality of how we become clear thinkers, and that is through the renewing of our minds. Brothers, when we're thinking about what it means to be a clear thinker, that doesn't mean that you're, uh, you're skilled in the uh, discipline of logic, although that can't hurt anything. But there are plenty of people who, who uh, are skilled in the discipline of logic, and they can't think their way out of a paper bag. Okay? That's not what it's talking about. A clear thinker is someone who is able to look at the world around them and interpret reality through the lens of Scripture. Okay? Look in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 13, Hebrews 5, verse 13, 
He says, for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age or those that are mature, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. This is a really good picture of someone who is a clear thinker. They have discernment. Okay, They know, they know how to make a distinction between that which is good and that which is evil. They know how to make a distinction or make sense out of what's in front of them. And that's because, and this is where the aged uh, maybe is a little more helpful, that's because they have their senses exercised or disciplined. This is something that they've been doing for a while. They have experience when it comes to discernment. And you know, as well as I do, that nothing really can make up for experience, okay? Wisdom comes with experience. Now, not all experience is good, so don't, don't hear me say that. But as far as what it means to learn how to exercise your senses, as far as discernment goes, the older you get, the more experience you have in doing this, then the more skillful you are in it. And what we're going to see as we apply this is that it's not just for an abstract discipline so that you're the wise one, but it's for some very practical reasons. Older men, as it relates to God's truth, God's reality in God's world, you are called to be a clear thinker. Have you noticed the lack of clear thinking that's in our world right now? Now It's funny, kind of, but you realize all all that unclear, muddled thinking that we see right now, those aren't just, I mean, we would like to look at them and think they're anomalies, but they're not. There are churches full of people that have that sort of thought process, that sort of mindset. How about this? If we take it away from kind of the chaos we've seen over the streets, have you noticed the lack of clear thinking in our churches over topics like the authority of Scripture? Sound doctrine. Clear thinking. I know what Scripture says. I can articulate what Scripture says. And that informs how I think about reality. Male leadership, homosexuality. Think about all the chaos in the church right now over that. Pastors being ordained who are practicing homosexuals. You know what that's a result of? A lack of clear thinking. Abortion. How to respond to the race issues that are going on right now in our culture. You know, there are some people that are saying that what the church needs right now is not just a couple of messages on what Scripture has to say about race, but they need to be immersed for years on messages that talk about racial reconciliation and social justice. You know what that is? It's a lack of clear thinking, and it's in the church. Men, you are called to guard the church from that kind of foolishness. 
You are called to guard the church from this sort of unbiblical mindset that can easily hijack the church and take it off the rails. Okay, there needs to be someone or a group of someones in the congregation who can think clear enough, and this goes back to what we were saying in chapter 1, that whenever the pastor goes off the rails, he doesn't do it unopposed. Okay, so that's from one standpoint. What about this? And this may be even, this is probably more pertinent. What about men that do not know how to think clearly under pressure? You know there's all kinds of pressures in a church setting. Take it out of the church. There's all kinds of pressures that go on in your house. You are called to lead in that. How often do trials and conflicts arise and the responses that we see are influenced by panic and fear and emotional reactions? And the last thing we would think of is that a clear thinker was the one navigating that. One whose mind was biblically informed. Over the last 20 years, We've seen trials and various conflicts come and go in this body. And I am convinced the reason that we are still here today is because the Lord raised up clear thinkers to help us navigate through that. I mean, if you don't know the history of the last 20 years, our church should have disintegrated several times. You want to know why it didn't? Because of the blessing of clear thinking men. God's calling you to take that banner if you're a man and God's calling you to be that for the next generation. So, older men are to be clear thinkers. Number two, Titus, uh, Paul says to Titus, they are to be grave. Okay. Grave. They could have various definitions here but I think what the the point that he's getting at here is they are to be worthy of respect I think that's probably the clearest definition they're to be worthy of respect it's someone who is modeling what a commitment to Christ looks like okay so worthy of respect means a few things number one it means they are consistent Ephesians 4.1, they are walking in a way that's worthy of the calling in which they've been called, or their life weighs as much as their profession in that sense. They are committed. They are consistent. But secondly, and this is really goes along with that, another word that might be helpful is that they are serious. Okay? It's men who are serious. They're serious about life. They're serious about the Word of God. They're serious about their walk with Jesus Christ. They're serious about the church of God. They are serious about the commitment they have made to Christ. Now, let me make sure you understand, this doesn't mean that a man who's grave can never laugh or can never have a sense of humor. You can be grave, you can be worthy of respect, you can be serious and still have a sense of humor. But what it does mean is, 
you're not known for being a big clown. Okay? In matters that are serious, you're not the one telling the jokes. In matters where things need to be done and the stakes are high, you're not trying to cut the tension with some stupid comment. Okay? Because it's too serious for that. In matters where things need to be addressed spiritually, you're serious about that in your own heart, in your own life. When it comes to matters of doctrine, when it comes to matters of the church, when it comes to matters of uh, uh, ministering to your brothers and sisters, you're serious about that. It's not a joke. And so if we could say it in another way, look in Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11, uh, verse 3, the integrity of the upright shall guide them. The integrity of the upright shall guide them. That's a, that's a passage that would go along with what it means to be grave. It's a man who has integrity. It's a man who has integrity. And his integrity is guiding him so that someone who is worthy of respect, again, is someone who knows how to respond, knows how to act, knows what to say, knows, again, how to behave in the appropriate settings and in the appropriate ways. So that there's not an artificial stuffiness about him. He's not trying to convince you how holy he is and how serious he is by never cracking a smile or by never having any sort of lighthearted conversation or uh, even being able to laugh at the things that are laughable in life. But he's not denigrating the word of God and God's standard by making jokes out of it. He's not a man that's given himself over to mindless, silly entertainment. Again, doesn't mean he can't ever be entertained, but that's not what makes him tick. Brothers, I think you've probably seen this by now, but you realize our culture is on a full-out mission to eliminate integrity and sobriety in the hearts and minds of men. Think about how many cartoons are made that are geared toward grown men. You ever thought about that? Just the silly frivolity of it. Think about the, uh, and, and again, all this stuff in moderation, but, but, but think about the men, the men that you know. That their spare time is filled with sports and video games and all kinds of just silliness. Doesn't mean you can't ever play a sport. Doesn't mean you can't ever play a video game. But I hear about people who, who start playing at 10 and they go to bed at 5 a.m. And these people are grown men that have jobs that they need to go to the next day. There's a lack of sobriety there. Think about the folks, again, this is, this, this, you've heard this before, but this falls in line with it. 
Think about those who use Saturday night as their entertainment night. And again, they stay up till 3, 4, 5 in the morning and then they, they come into church and they're barely able to keep their eyes open and the problem there is a lack of sobriety. So, he's a man of integrity and his integrity is guiding him. His commitment to Christ is guiding him. And life is not a joke. Third, he's self-controlled. Or he is, uh, let's, let's look at the word in, in Titus. He's uh, temperate. Yeah, he's temperate. That is self-controlled. So he's modeling what Christ-like behavior looks like. Look in First uh, Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. starting in verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So verse 11 is really what we're after. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. What's he saying there? He's saying we need to have self-control. Okay, there are fleshly lusts. What is that talking about? What are the lusts of the flesh? The lusts of the flesh are those impulses, those desires that are naturally attractive to us that Paul says, or Peter says, are at war with our souls. Those things that would destroy us if we weren't on our guard. So a man who is self-controlled is a man who knows how to control his desires, his impulses. We could, we could go and look at several different passages for that and we'll get a little further into that whenever we look at the young men. Think about how important it is that an individual have self-control. Christ was a model of self-control. Again, as the fact that you've been called uh, uh, to live in a role that is a leader in some capacity, you need to know how, you need to know how to control your lust. You need to know how to, what it really means is you need to know how to walk in the Spirit rather than walk in the flesh. You need to know what God says and you need to know what you need to put on and put off. And An effective leader is not one who's constantly losing his temper with somebody else. 
An effective leader is not someone who is constantly ruled by their wants, desires, emotions. An effective leader is one that knows how to be temperate. You know, one of the sad things that we see, this is nothing new here, one of the sad things that we see, particularly with young men, even in some older, is this idea that we can be faithful um, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and give ourselves over to fleshly lust at the same time. So you hear and even interact with people that on Sunday have a firm commitment to following the Lord and, and pleasing the Lord with their life. And then you hear stories about them getting drunk with their buddies on Friday and Saturday. And you know what that reveals? It reveals you just don't get it. You just don't get it. If you would be the man that God has called you to be, the man that God has commanded you to be, then you're a man who's serious about self-control. Self-control in your interactions with others and self-control in what you allow yourself to indulge in. Those are the three character qualities that Paul would lay out there. But those three character qualities are also shored up by, firmed up by, the source of these three character qualities, I think, come in the last half of the verse. And that is that these men are sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. Okay, so the older men are to be, this is what you're growing up into. This is younger men, this is your goal. You'd be a clear thinker, okay? In the sense that you have biblical discernment. You know what Scripture says, and that informs the way you think. You're to be serious about life, worthy of respect. And you're to be temperate, self-controlled. Now, the second half says this. You're to be sound in faith. The word sound there just means healthy. You're to be sound in faith. In the, in the Greek, it's you're to be sound in the faith. Okay? So it means that he knows and loves truth. That's the first half of it. Okay? If you're going to be sound in the faith, number one, you've got to know the faith. Okay? And that's truth. But someone who's sound in faith not only knows and loves truth, but his love toward Jesus Christ is strengthened by the truth. Okay, It doesn't just puff him up when he knows it. It doesn't make him think he's something that he's not when he knows it. Ephesians 4.14 would describe it this way. A man who's sound in faith is not being tossed about with every wind of doctrine. Every new thing that comes in, everything that seems to be interesting, everything that seems to be attractive, he's not getting caught up in every new wind of doctrine that comes. You get a couple of, couple of early on, a couple of ideas as to why this is so important. Number one, what you can easily see is that it's going to be impossible for a man to be a clear thinker if he's not sound in doctrine or sound in the faith. 
And number two, what you're also going to find is it's going to be impossible, impossible for a man to be a stabilizing influence in his home and in his church if he's not sound in doctrine. Okay? Those, you, you can't have one without the other. Now, one thing that I think is helpful here is to maybe see this illustrated. Um, and Paul shows us this in his own life. Um, uh, we're going to be looking in 2 Timothy to illustrate these things. So look in 2 Timothy chapter 4. So as far as the, the order of the way these letters were written, 1 Timothy was written first, and then Titus was written, and then a couple of years later, 2 Timothy was written. Okay, so Paul is uh, in all... Um, Every meaning of the term, Paul is an old man whenever we come to 2 Timothy. And look at what we see as far as his example or the illustration here. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 16. He says, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me, I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What we see in this passage, it may seem kind of strange at first, but it'll be clear in a few minutes. What you see in this passage is that it is uh, shaped by a man who is sound in doctrine. Look what he says, look what he's talking about. Just the very first part. At first, at my first answer, no man stood with me. Paul's thinking back in history. And he says, there was a time where there was not a single man who stood with me. I was abandoned. It was just me. And you know what Paul says about that? He says, Lord, don't lay that to their account. What you see here about a, a man who is sound in doctrine is that he's able to look at other people's failures and respond to them in a gracious way. Why? You know what Paul knows? And we're going to see this build as we get there. Paul is a man who is sound in and grounded in the reality of the sovereignty of God, the providential care of God, the reality that in all of our trials and in all of our experiences that the Lord is working these things for our good and for his glory so that whenever Paul looks back on these things, he doesn't say there was at one time uh, there was a time at first where I stood alone, no man stood with me, and all these uh, words and feelings of bitterness and resentment and, and all these other things that get conjured up cloud his thinking. No, Paul's thinking very, very clearly here, Lord, these men abandoned me. Don't lay it to their account. Why? Because in your gracious, sovereign, providential care, you were in this. You stood with me. 
I wonder if Paul was that confident at the time. He may have been, I don't know. You know what it takes to be this confident that the Lord and his sovereign providential care over you impacts your response? Well, number one, it takes a clear understanding of Scripture. But then number two, it takes experience in walking with the Lord, seeing him work in the midst of your trials, seeing him work in the midst of your heartaches. This is part of, I think, why Titus, or I'm sorry, Paul says to Titus, the older men, the more experienced men, that's the kind of thing that you don't get, again, without the experience of walking with the Lord, interpreting life through God's sovereignty and providential care. But notice in verse 17, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And by me the preaching might be that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Paul looks back, and what does he see? He sees God's faithfulness. He sees God's faithfulness, God's goodness. Now, now at this point you may say, Okay, now you were just you just finished talking about God's uh, about sound in faith and sound in doctrine and these things, and 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 now you're talking about, you know, bigger Vaguer, maybe not vaguer, but bigger concepts that almost everybody adheres to. You want to know what election should lead you to? A confidence in God's faithful love. You want to know what predestination should lead you to ultimately? A confidence in God's faithful love. You want to know what justification should lead you to? A confidence in the faithful love of God. You want to know what all these, these doctrines that we hold as, as true and faithful and precious should lead us to? A greater appreciation, awareness of, and sense of the faithful love of God toward me. Paul looks back and he says, the Lord was faithful to me during that time. And then in verse 18, he immediately turns around and says, and I'm confident that he's going to be faithful to me in the future. This is a man who's sound in doctrine. And you want to see, and you can see this already as it turns. A man who's sound in doctrine is a man who's a clear thinker, right? He's thinking clearly about not just his past, but about his future. Brothers, we need men like this. I'm thankful to say we have men like this, but we need more of them. I, I, I mentioned this, and this is, a, this is a good illustration in my mind. It was the first thing I thought of that um, during uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, during the whole transition time, whenever we knew that Brother Isaac was leaving and going to Grace Chapel, and we were trying to talk through what that would look like as far as uh, between me and the deacons, I can't remember exactly um, uh, at what point this was said, but at, at one point in the middle of the whole discussion, Brother Robert said, I am confident that the Lord will continue to lead us. He's led us this far. He'll continue to lead us. And the first thing I thought was, that sounds just like what Brother Claude used to say. The second thing I thought was, isn't it a blessing to have men who have walked with the Lord and are confident in God's faithfulness and providence who can instill that in others. It is. It is. And that's what God's calling you to be, men. Secondly, not only is he sound in 
the faith, he's sound in love. He's sound in love. That is, his love toward others is healthy. Look in Proverbs 27. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. He is a, he is a man who knows how to love other people. You know, it's a, it's a sad thing. When you think about someone who has devoted themselves or, or at least uh, com- tried to devote themselves to being so sound in doctrine that they've forgotten that sound doctrine should lead to the development of the greatest commandment, which is to love God and to love others. And so what it turns into at times is what we described earlier, someone who's stuffy, someone who's not a very relational person, someone who is uh, absorbed in knowledge and facts that has led to being puffed up with pride. Brothers, you are to be sound in doctrine. You are to be sound in the faith. But the other thing you are to be is sound in love. That is, well, let's look at the example. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. In uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Starting in verse 2, this is Paul, this is his last letter to Timothy. Starting in verse 2, it says, To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelleth first in thy, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands, and then he goes on there. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind, and I'm just going to stop there. You can't read the first part of Second Timothy without seeing the fact that Paul loves this man that he's writing to. He is obviously affectionate toward Timothy. My dearly beloved son, I thank God when I think about you. I'm desiring to see you. I'm mindful of your tears. Then I'm confident in your faith. And I want to encourage you to be faithful to your call. 
What does it mean to be sound in love? A man who is sound in love is a man who is consciously reaching out to build up those around him. Consciously reaching out to build those up who are around him. It could be someone who's struggling in life, okay? And one of the advantages of being an older man is that you've gone through struggles and trials yourself. Hopefully that as you've gone through those and the Lord has matured you, that you can see the providential hand of God. You've been comforted and you're able, as 2 Corinthians 1 says, to comfort others with the comfort that you've received. Maybe it's just you're you're simply reaching out to love and to edify and to encourage those who are less spiritually mature, those who are still um, uh, growing in their spiritual maturity. Whatever it is, to be sound in love means that you are involved in building other people up. You want to encourage. You want to comfort. You want to exhort. You want to let folks know that you love them. The way Paul does here. It doesn't seem very manly, does it? Not by our cultural standards, it doesn't. We've talked about this several times over the last year. Particularly in the last message when we thought about sanctification. But growing in Christ-likeness as far as God's design, one essential ingredient is the word, right? We've said that. And then another essential ingredient is loving relationships, okay? Both of those. Older women teach the younger. You'll notice there's a likewise before that. Men, we don't get off the hook. We're to be modeling and teaching the younger men as well. We're to be loving them. We're to be stirring them up and calling them to be faithful to the commitment that they've made to Jesus Christ because we know what it is like to be distracted. We know what it's like to be thrown off course. And rather than being angry and resentful and bitter at someone who seems to be um, floundering in their faithfulness, we come alongside, we love, we seek to build up. And then last, I know I'm running short on time here, They're sound in faith, they're sound in love, and they are sound in endurance. Sound in endurance, or what uh, the King James would call patience. It's one who knows how to endure under the pressures of life. One that knows how to endure under the pressures of life. Let's just look and see right away in 2 Timothy chapter 1 again. We'll look at the illustration here. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 8, Paul says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. 
For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I've believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now, that's a mouthful as far as the verses go, but here's what you'll notice. What you'll notice is that verses 8 through 11 are really the backbone or the things that set up Paul's endurance. Really, verse 12 is the endurance verse. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Here Paul's talking about the suffering that he's endured as a good and faithful minister of the gospel. And Paul says, I've endured. I'm suffering. And I'm not ashamed of the fact that I've suffered. Why is it? A man who's sound in endurance is a man who's sound in doctrine. Because I know whom I have believed. Right? And then he goes on in verse 12, And I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He's a man who is not just, again, sound in endurance, but he's sound in doctrine. He's a man who has experience in these things. And he says, I know Jesus Christ. I know his love. I know his faithfulness. I'm persuaded that even though trials are coming along, I'm persuaded that he's going to work even these for my good and his glory. I know he's called me to be a minister of the gospel and that it's, he's called me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. I know that's the task that he's called me to. Timothy, I know that he's called you to the same thing. Do not be ashamed. Continue. Endure. And the only way you're going to endure is if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you encourage yourself in the Lord by encouraging yourself in the truth of the gospel. Sometimes people get intimidated when we think about what it means to be sound in the faith as if all of a sudden uh, the, the ultimate goal is that they would be a um, theological scholar. Well, brothers and sisters, there's nothing wrong with being a theological scholar. As it were, if, you, if what you mean by that is you're acquainted with and familiar with um, uh, biblical theology and abstract theology. But what it means to be sound in faith means that you are healthy in your outlook on the character of God. You understand who God is and you understand doctrinally that the love of God is built up by all these things that we hold as essential truth. That you understand that God is faithful. And if you understand that, then you are going to endure. You are going to have what it takes to walk through trials without falling apart. You are going to have what it takes to, in the midst of trials, think clearly because your mind is being biblically informed. You are going to have what it takes to love someone who's struggling or less mature because you realize God has a plan for that person and he's got a plan for you in line with his plan for that person and that is that you would come help build them up, that you would love them and bring the strength and encouragement that they need. And I think it goes without saying that a man that understands that he's been called to these things is a man that's going to have a serious outlook on life. Okay, we're not talking about flippant things here, are we? We're not talking about silly things here, are we? We're talking about God's plan for the older men to function in such a way that his plan for the church is realized 
Isn't it a blessing to think that not only have you been called into fellowship with Jesus Christ, but you've also been called to participate in the building of his church right here in Ripley, Mississippi? Oh, it's an amazing thought. And so may God bless us. May God bless us as men that we would grow in maturity, that we would be the stabilizing leaders that are growing in the character qualities of Jesus Christ because we know Him, we love Him, we're committed to Him, our minds are being renewed through Him, and our lives have been given over to Him. May God bless us to be those kinds of men. Let's pray. Father, again, we are so thankful for Your Word. We're thankful that You don't just leave us without... Um, any guidance, without any instruction. We don't have to wonder what you would have us to be. And Father, we also don't have to wonder how we would ever attain the standard that you've called us to. We're thankful, Lord, for the Holy Spirit that lives in us. We're thankful for your faithfulness that continues the work that you've started in us. And Father, we're thankful for the prospect that we could be, grow into, that we could pass down your vision for your church and that it might be realized here in Ripley, Mississippi. I pray that you would bless us as men here, that we would grow into the men that you've called us to be through your grace and through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.